Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, bringing another message today out of the series God's Preferred Path, entitled or dealing with Longing for God's Word, which I'm calling Craving God's Word. Do you crave the Word of God? So we're going to take a look at that today and see how Peter handles that. Our text today is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to read that to you. It's found in the very first two verses. Actually, the whole context covers many more verses than this, but uh, for the sake of this message today, I'm only going to give you those first two verses found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this in the Word of God, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You know, people don't always do the things that they know they should do. That's what leads many people to do New Year's resolutions. They look back and think, well, I didn't do so many of the things I thought I was going to do or I made resolution to do, and I just didn't do them. They say the number one thing that we mentioned like last week was losing weight or becoming more disciplined, uh, just all, all kinds of reasons that people do New Year's resolutions that include a multitude of things. And for many Christians, it's to read the Bible more. I've heard several times lately, people want to read the Bible uh, completely through from cover to cover this year. And that's a good ambition, but uh, I, I don't always recommend that because people get so bogged down. I mean, they do fine in Genesis, they do pretty good in Exodus, but they get to Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. They either bog down and stop or fade out. They just quit reading. So I always recommend just studying the Bible and different things like that. But people don't always do the same thing, People, the things they know they should do. Whether it's eating vegetables, paying bills promptly, or getting to bed on time, some people's everyday actions defy what they know to be best. Which leads me to this question. Are you ready for this year? Based on the way you lived last year, will this year be any different for you? And that's a very general question. But if I were to make it specific to spiritual depth or spiritual understanding or spiritual growth, will you be growing more spiritually this year than you did last year? And if the answer to that is, well, I hope so, well, then I, this message may be for you. I want you to think about this as we go through this because Peter is exhorting us. Peter's making use of the Old Testament, a number of portions of the Old Testament. He is, we would say, expositing the Old Testament, as we saw in verses, uh, these, these verses, we're going to see in these verses. But I want to draw you back to the statement in verse 2 that I just read for you. And the reason I want you to look at verse 2 is because there's a driving action here, a driving verb that is a command for us. And it is an imperative, and it's hard to read it like that because we just don't see that in the English. But this is the way it's written in the Greek language. And it says, long for the pure milk of the word. You see, everything in this whole passage, really from one chapter 1, verse 22, all the way through chapter 2, verse 4, deals with this. Everything in the passage supports that one phrase, long for the pure milk of the word. That is the main thrust of the entire passage. It is the command to desire Scripture, to desire the Word of God. 
And you know, really, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at this because this is really always marked those who love God, those who are in Christ. Jesus said it best in John chapter 8. He who is of God, listen to this, hears God's words. In the same chapter, Jesus said, He who is of God not only hears God's words, but keeps God's word. Paul expressed this love for God's word in the believer's heart when he said in Romans 7.22, he said this, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Job said it like this, I have treasured his words, uh, the, the, the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Think about that. Job also says, says this, uh, the, no, the, the Psalms say this, the psalmist in the first psalm says, the godly man is blessed because his delight is in the law of the Lord. And of course we know in the Old Testament when it says the law of the Lord, it could easily be translated the word of God. And so we look at this and we think, wow, this is a, he, he's really saying a lot here uh, about the Word of God. And so my question to you is, do you long for or do you actually crave the Word of God? Now we're going to explain what that means, but I want you to think about Psalm 19 for just a second. It says this in Psalm 19. Uh, the words of God are more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the drippings of the honeycomb. Well, is that true? Is that true in your life? Was it true last year? Or will it be true this year? Again, in Psalm 40, in verse 8, the psalmist says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. And then, man, who could, who could ignore, when this kind of theme, who could ignore Psalm 119? Man, all those verses, it celebrates this love and affection, and the joy starting in verse 16 doesn't stop till it gets to, to verse 174. And it repeatedly says, I love your law. I delight in your law. I rejoice in your law. He says that in so many different ways. And again, in your law can be read like this. I love your word. I delight in your word. Or I delight in God's word. Or I delight in the Bible. However you want to put that for today. This is the believer's compelling Love showing from his own heart the Word of God. It's not something imposed upon him from the outside. It's something that rises up from within the believer on the inside of his life. Love for Scripture, a delight in Scripture, or a craving for the Word of God, and to know God through His Word is what Peter is commanding us to do. Now think about that. Isn't it interesting that he would even have to bring this up? It ought to be second nature for us. But you look at this main statement in verse 2. Long for the pure milk of the word. Long for is an imperative verb. That doesn't mean much to you, probably. It comes from another Greek word. It means to desire or to crave. And any time the Greek verbs have a, a certain form about them, then they're intensified. And this has that form. This word is used, for example, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in Psalm 42.1. Here's the way the, the, the Hebrew would handle that uh, as far as coming over into the Greek version of the Hebrew. It says in Psalm 42.1, As the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after you, O God. 
And that's being compared to us as believers. Do we do that? Are we like that deer who's looking for the satisfaction of his thirst in the water? Is that the way we look at the Word of God? Satisfying a desire of my soul. In Psalm 119, 174, it's used to express this same desire or delight in the law of the Lord, the verb to long for or to desire, to crave, this strong, intense, compelling craving is found nine times in the New Testament. The same verb, seven of them by the Apostle Paul, one of them by Peter, <coughs> excuse me, and one by James. And James translates it as a jealous desire. The kind of desire that is a solitary desire that literally expects everything else to fade away. Romans uses it in Philippians 1, Romans 1 and Philippians 1 uses it to describe craving for effective ministry. It's used in 2 Corinthians 5 uh, as describing his desire, his longing for heaven. And in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, and there's other places, but here it says, this is his deep need, his deep hunger for fellowship. It's the same word used. In other words, it reflects an intensity, an ever-recurring passion, an insatiable longing for his word. Well, you know, when I read stuff like this, it just makes me think, well, do I have that kind of passion? Do I have that kind of a desire for God's word? Do I have that kind of craving? And Peter here, it's not suggesting this. Peter is demanding it. He's demanding a consuming craving. For what? For something that is pure in the midst of a world of impurities, amidst the, the world full of corrupt things, contaminated things, which the evil heart lusts for. In other words, us. We, we, we lust for those things. And so he's calling for this kind of craving for what is uncontaminated and focus upon the Word of God. You see that word pure there? Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word. That word pure there is an agricultural context. It talks about food that has been purified so that it becomes edible. Oil that has been purified so that it's usable. Or wine that has been purified so that you can drink it and enjoy it. In this case, it's the milk. Look at how he phrases it. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk. Now, pure milk, the kind that comes out of the breast of the mother directly to the newborn. In other words, milk that first comes into the world through the mother directly into the mouth of the little baby. Well, what is the milk? Well, you know, the milk, is, it says here, the pure milk of the word. And the fairness to the word is translated several different ways in Scripture. And I don't have a, 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 thing to, a reason to go into all of this, but it's, it's such an interesting kind of study. For example, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it's translated uh, uh, as rational speech or as uh, uh, translated... Uh, Reasonable service, I mean, I couldn't find, I couldn't think of the word. Reasonable service in Romans chapter 12. And in other places, it's translated as just a rational thought. But Peter doesn't, doesn't look at it like that. He brings up this, this word here. It's first 
better to go to the, the Greek word, the way Peter used it. It, it, it. It's saying that it belongs to speech. And to see the connection with logos, the Greek term for the word, word is logos. Uh, that it is translated that way is no surprise. That the translators understand it's referring not to human reason or even to something spiritual, but to the very word that is drawn into these verses from the previous verses in chapter 1. So here's what Peter does. He takes what he gives us in first chapter and brings it into the second chapter like this. Look at what he says in chapter 1, of verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. And then he says, all flesh is like grass, it is glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, in verse chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, it's a shame there's a, a division here, a chapter split, because you miss this. But chapter 2, verse 1 says, therefore, because of the, 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 Lord in, the word of the Lord endures forever, therefore, Long for or crave for the pure milk of the word. God's word as milk is is something that we don't we don't relate to that because there's other things in Scripture that refer to this, the pure spiritual milk of the word, uh, and Peter uses this and relates it to the word logos. But Peter doesn't command in this. Uh, if if you do a, a close observation of this, it's interesting to note. Now listen to this. As, as you look at this, that it says something like this. Peter, Peter doesn't command them to read the Word. Let me just give it to you again. Like newborn babes long for or crave for the pure milk of the Word. So Peter doesn't command them to read the Word. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't command them to study the Word, even though it's found in many other places to study it, and it's found in many other places to read it. He doesn't command them even to meditate on the Word. And we know that's in the Scripture several times. In Psalm 19, Joshua 1, 8, he, he doesn't command them to teach the Word. Timothy, Paul to Timothy does, but not here he doesn't. He doesn't command them to preach it as he does in 2 Timothy also. He doesn't suggest to us like the it is found in Acts that we are to search the Word. He doesn't say that we are to wield the Word as a sword like he does in Ephesians 6. He doesn't tell us to hide the word, as in Psalm 119. But you see, all of those are essential. But in Peter's mind, the very foundation of all that is the necessity to long for it. That's the foundational component, to desire it. That's literally what is at the heart of all of this. And it should be at the heart of what we are going to look at for this year for our lives, especially our spiritual appetite. Are we going to long for the pure word? Are we going to have a, a legalistic view of just trying to read through the Bible in a year? Or is it because I long for, I crave the word of God? You know, I've mentioned this so many times in, 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 in my years of teaching that uh, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary and uh, the, toward the, the toward the last semester or two I, I wanted to uh, maintain my, my grade point average very high which I, that was probably all flesh that did that 
But I was looking for a course that I, it was a crip, but I wanted a crip course or what we used to call in seminaries underwater basket weaving. I wanted an easy course to get another A as, to, as I closed out my final semester and going to get, getting my stuff ready to graduate. Remember, it's a four-year school, and you, you, you don't just graduate uh, very easy there. You, you work hard for it. And so I needed another, uh, I wanted another A, an easy course to take. Well, I, I looked through the, the, all the electives, and I had had intensive Greek intensive reading. I've had Hebrew intensive reading. I've had all the they required of the Hebrew and the Greek. And, and then I saw a course that said Bible study. I thought, oh, well, I know how to study the Bible. I can take that. And so I signed up to take that, thinking it's going to be the easiest course ever. Because after all, uh, patting myself on the back, I was a fourth-year graduate, ready to graduate, and I just was looking for a crip course. I'd take this one. Well, I've told many people this. Uh, it was by Howard Hendricks on how to study the Bible, and it became the hardest course I had all, all year in, in, in the seminary. Yet it was the one course that I would say, if I had only gone to seminary and gotten that one class, it would have all been worth it to get that one class because it taught me how to study the Word of God. It didn't teach me how to desire it. It taught me how to study it. I went into the seminary not thinking I want to learn how to exposit, learn how to do this. I want to learn all the Greek and the Hebrew. I didn't do that. I just had a love for God's Word. I just wanted to understand it. And so I had that at least a little bit when I went in. And then... All Dr. Howard Hendricks did was give me the tools to work with that. It was great. It changed my life, and it changed the way I look at Scripture. It changed the way I read, and I've never gone back to whatever way I had before seminary. And so I think this is one of the things that's conveyed to me when I read this, is that Peter is saying, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. I think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about taking this, this desire for the milk of the Word and, and build upon that. You see, babies crave milk. I love to think about this and read this. Babies crave milk and only milk. You care about the uh, other things in, in a baby's room. You, you, don't, you don't really care about the crib. I mean, you care about the crib, but the baby doesn't care about the crib. You care about the curtains. They don't care about the curtains. You care about the cute little outfits and the little shoes and all that is cute. But the baby doesn't care about that. They don't scream because they're offended by the color of the pajamas you just put on them. No, they scream because they want milk. They come into the world with an obsessive compulsive disorder. And you know that. They're basically OCD at the very outset of coming into the world. And isn't it amazing that everything about a baby... It's so wonderfully soft and cuddly and inviting, except their voice. <laughs> I can't help but think about this when it says this word here, like newborn babies. You see that? Newborn babies. Well, man, they're cuddly, except their voice, which is, their voice, by the way, is horrific and almost completely alien to everything else about that baby. Oh, it's necessary. In other words, God built that in to... So they can remind you, don't forget to feed the baby. You're not going to forget to feed your new baby because he or she will scream his or her head off until you do feed them. This is the singular focus that Peter is capturing for us to relate to us. 
Do we have anything even remotely like that kind of craving for the Word of God? I have to ask myself that question. Lord, do I desire the Word of God like a newborn baby desires milk to satisfy his hunger pains, his satisfaction of of getting that food? Is that the way I look and approach the Word of God? Do we ever get to the place where we desire it more than our necessary food? If we had a choice between reading God's Word and eating physical food, would you eat physical food or would you read? Well, now I know that's how, that, that could be based coming out of legalistic fear, but I'm just talking about the general picture here of what we are commanded to do. And so as we look at this, there's so many ways to approach this. I just want to take you through a few things here. Peter's talking about the inspiration of the blessed Holy Spirit. He lays out certain elements as part of the craving for God's Word. And number one, he says this, remember your life source. In other words, just remember. Remember that you've been born again. It's a pathway to get that craving. You must first be a child of God, is really what he's saying. That's why he goes back to chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love for the brethren, fervent love, one for another, from the heart. Look at what it says in verse 23. For you have been born again, not of the seed which is imperishable, which is perishable, but imperishable, That is, through the living and abiding Word of God. That's why he gives us the therefore in chapter 2, verse 1. In that one word is the whole point, therefore, there. It's that coming off of the previous passage because of what he has just said. Since you have an obedience, that's a staggering reality. The heart of man is deceitfully, desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're wretched, we're vile. And so he lays this out for us when he tells us you've been regenerated, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. And then he is saying, therefore, in verse chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, desire it. You're desiring it because it has given you life. You need to remember that. The very word that's capable and able to give you life is the very word that you are to continue reading. That's why we have uh, Hebrews 4.12. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me tell you something. You're not going to go anywhere if you don't remember that. Better than that, you better be born again. That, that's, that's the prerequisite. You're not going to desire God's word if you are not a new, if you're not a believer. Now, Peter has a second critical point that drives us <coughs> into this abiding uh, craving of God's word. He says, look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, put aside, put aside. Then he names five things you're to put aside. And let me just give them to you. Malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. All are sin. We know that. They're actually in the middle voice. It means it's reflective. Uh, in other words, take a look at your life and start shedding some things. 
This verb refers to stripping off. And again, it's a compound verb. It's an intense kind of tearing it off. Like tearing off filthy clothes just used a number of times by the Apostle Paul in Romans, Ephesians, Colossians. In other words, get rid of these things. Look at the first one. Now I'm just going to kind of run through these real quick so you have an idea of these words. But malice. Malice is his first word. All malice is repeated. It mean, it's just a, a simple word. It literally means evil. It's often translated wickedness, sort of uh, without any more narrow definition than that. It conveys a general idea of baseness or disgracefulness, the general evil of the heathen. It's translated, for example, in Acts 8.22 as wickedness. This is the, the general appearance of this word when it appears more times than malice. It appears as just either evil or wickedness. And then he goes to deceit. Deceit is a word that refers to a bait on a fish hook, which is very deceitful. The fish thinks it's a meal, and he becomes the meal. It's the ultimate deception is the way this word is used. Deceit, deception, dishonestly, or falsehood. And, and, and this is the kind of thing that we take of as a, a natural heart. But we have been born again. And so we ought to be able to put these things aside. Strip them. Get rid of them. And then 30 talks about hypocrisy. Originally, the word for an actor wearing a mask. And most of you know that. It has the word to do with, with being a phony or hypocrite. We know, what, we know what this word basically means. And then he gets into the word envy. Wanting what others have. Wanting to be who others are. Or resenting their situation. Resenting their status. Resenting their opportunities. Which leads to grudges or bitterness or hatred or conflict. You're to get rid of all that. Strip it off. Start So you start dealing with wickedness and, and, and of your heart, and then you go inside and find all the hidden deceit that goes on, and then the hypocrisy. Then you start to work on the attitudes you have that's caused by these. This affects your relationships. Then notice he last he says slander. That is a, a, is a word that, that means defamation or disparagement. Malicious gossip is the way it's most generally used in the New Testament. Or tearing down other people. You ever do that? And this is saying this is a hindrance to craving God's Word. All five of these are just general hindrances that can keep us from longing or craving God's Word. Well, let me tell you something. If you're going to take God's preferred path this year, if you're going to have any spiritual depth or, or growth in this year, remember it's already started, we're in the second week, you're going to have to strip of these things. Not let them be the hindrance. They will absorb you. They will sap up your focus. You see, your heart was already purified for sincere love for the brethren, is what verse 22 says. So they were to strip these things. Confess that sin. This we know. We, we, we know what this is, don't we? This is all called true repentance. And so if this year is going to be different than last year, it might be just telling us this. Well, if you want this year to be different spiritually than last year, you're going to need to repent of some things. Perhaps you're going to need to get rid of some bad habits. Perhaps there's a sin that's hindering you. Perhaps there's a person in your life that's keeping you from craving God's Word. We might have to get rid of that. 
If you don't have a desire to read it, to learn its truth, or to hear its joys, it is convincing, convicting realities. If you don't expose yourself to the hearing and listen to preaching, then perhaps something is in the way. Something is causing that clog. And then look at the third element. Admit your need. Admit your need. Like newborn babes, they don't have to say, okay, I give up, I need some milk. They just start crying. The word here is for babies. It means infants, uh, brand new babies, uh, nursing babies. In fact, when a child stops nursing, the word would no longer be used to speak of that child. That would be enough. It could say, like babies. But this says, like newborn babies, emphasizing that. So he's pushing us all the way back to the hours and the moments after a child comes out of its mother's womb. And the instant that baby is born, it goes right to its mother to provide the milk that God has already prepared that pure milk. That baby only desire is for that. It's no other desire. It doesn't particularly, uh, he's not particularly impressed by the, the look of the mother. Surely not impressed by the look of the dad. It doesn't care. It just wants the milk. <clears throat> and the milk is necessary for survival. Now, let me ask you something. In looking at this, do you think he's just talking about recent converts? Well, you might be thinking that. Because of the word baby is used, we tend to think, well, babes in Christ. But he's not. He's not talking about babes in Christ. This is an analogy. Forget that. He's saying every believer all the time should be craving the Word of God as a baby craves milk. It's a singular craving. Is he talking about the milk of the Word as opposed to the meat of the Word? No. Don't mix the metaphors. Paul used it in another way. Peter's using it in a different way. Peter's using it in a completely different illustration. It is crystal clear. It's plain graphic analogy. A newborn baby <clears throat> excuse me, craves one thing. Milk. Why? Because he can't survive without it. Its mechanisms go off in that precious little body. They create an agitation, an irritation, and then the screaming begins until he gets the milk. It's amazing how well we get along, isn't it? Isn't it without uh, reading God's Word? I mean, I've talked to so many people, and I've been there where you just go through seasons where you just, I don't know, you just kind of don't read the Word. I had a gentleman come up to me one day and said, you know, it's like I just woke up the other day and I realized it's been two or so years since I've really read God's Word. I said, well, what do you think about that? He said, well, I think it's terrible that so much time passed by and I thought I was living my life great, having a great time and all. And it just reminded me, we can get along so good, it seems, without reading God's Word. It's amazing how much actual spiritual junk food we can feed on. Well, not so with a baby. A baby cries for life when he's crying for the milk. You don't give a baby potato chips. Now, I know that maybe some grandparents will give babies potato chips sweets and all that kind of stuff. They're tempted to do that. But we have a desperate need for the Word. And that's what Peter is trying to hit, it is, to, is to get at. We have a, a desperate need to hear the Word of God, to get into the Word of God. And then the fourth element here is not just admit you need it, but to pursue your growth. I'm pretty sure that this is true 
we all realize we need to grow. None of us would, would raise our hand and say, well, wait, 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 Pastor, I, I, I don't think I need to grow. The, the, the verb that's used here means the growth of children. Children need to grow. Now, in this illustration about this baby, like newborn babes, imagine if that baby stayed a baby, a newborn baby looking and acting for years. That would be a bad thing, wouldn't it? Well, that's what he's relating us to. We need to grow. And notice what it says here, in respect to salvation. Seeing is, you have tasted the kindness of God. God's already been so gracious to us to give us new life, new birth. And I'm not going to be able to take this much further because my time is up. But I tell you, if you want this year to be different than that next year or last year, then you're going to have to realize God's preferred path is for you to be in His Word, for you to, to read His Word. Next time we're going to get into some examples of this and how this can help. We have to be able to pursue these things that God would have us to pursue. For example, do you think you're going to need God's wisdom this year? Do you think you're going to need God's encouragement this year? Do you think you're going to need a path that is laid out so that it is clear which way to go for a certain decision you might need? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's some other thing that's going to arrest your attention. You're going to find it in God's Word. You're not going to find it apart from God's Word. You must be seeking His Word. I want to take this time to say thank you for listening today. And may your new year be filled with opportunities to grow. Seek out that church that's preaching and teaching the Word of God. Seek it out and get into God's Word. Thank you.